0: They say the road to Hollywood is paved with broken dreams. In 1920, a young woman by the name of Corliss Palmer entered a fame and fortune contest sponsored by Moving Picture magazine. To her surprise, she won, and she thought it would lead to a career in movies. Instead, it was the worst thing that ever happened to her. That's this edition of The Juno Files. You won't find a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame for Corliss Palmer, but she and publisher Eugene Brewster attempted to fashion a jazz age empire, only to end up ruling the gossip columns. We're talking today with Jennifer Redmond, who has a new book out entitled Southern Belle to Hollywood Hell, Corliss Palmer and Her Scandalous Rise and Fall. It's published by Bear Manor Media. Let's go to the interview now.
1: Hi, welcome to the show, Jennifer N. Redmond. You, your southern belle to Hollywood hell, Corliss Palmer and scandalous, her scandalous rise and fall. Hi, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Now, I have to admit, Corliss Palmer was a name that I was that had escaped me when I first when I first saw it, but she was. Really up with the silent film stories, wasn't she?
2: She, you know, her name kind of escapes everybody because it's one of the ways that I found her. She wasn't a well known person as far as her film career goes. She was more well known for the scandals that made the newspapers every day. So she would have been a familiar name, especially if you were a, a fan magazine reader. You would have come across her photo a lot. You would have come across her name a lot. But, yeah, she was, she had a couple of pictures that she wound up making with some people that were of note. I mean, Charlie Chase obviously was one. She made a, a picture with Richard Barthelmiss also that is looking to be restored. But, yeah, she was it's one of those people that were always on the periphery and never really hit it big.
1: But her, beloved, per- well, you said she was more well-known for her personal life. Exactly. Than than her professional career. Yes. And um and she was. Let's start off by she won the um, the fame and fortune contest in the, which was a national contest. Uh, Clara Bow, as you mentioned, was one of the, was one of the last winners, mm-hmm. and this this really put her on the uh, treadmill, so to speak, to. To Hollywood, didn't it?
2: Exactly. This was a contest that Eugene Brewster, who was co-publisher and co-founder of Motion Picture Magazine, had to try to drum up some more interest in the magazine. And he had photos come from all corners of the country. It started in 1919. He promised to make them movie stars. And in a way, he didn't lie, but he might have stretched the truth a little bit. He would make the movies himself. And he tried to peddle them to, you know, distributors and whatnot. And he had a hard time finding people that were interested in them in the beginning. But that's what happened. She actually sent in a photo, and you'll see in the book that it was kind of a a lark between her and several of her friends. And her photo was actually discarded. And he came across it. And for whatever reason, he felt that, you know, how could this be discarded? She's the winner. She's perfect. And then she wound up being thrust into the limelight. And he was convinced that he was going to make a superstar out of her.
1: That's right, I, and, and I'm not going to give away anything in the book. But like you said, he found her photo in the trash, yep. and and called his assistant in
2: mm-hmm.
1: to say, hey, "What is this woman doing in the trash? She's exactly. she's the best looking one."
2: Exactly. And they make a they make a point again, not giving too much away, but of the photo being kind of small and uninteresting. It was very strange that that's the one that he wound up choosing.
1: It's amazing and and like you said, he had his own he had his own studio, so to speak. But he uh but he also became rather well, he didn't he and her develop a relationship.
2: Yes. Yes, they did. Um, He In the beginning, he took her on as kind of his muse. He was convinced that he was going to be the next D.W. Griffith, and he was going to make her again into a superstar, and this was going to be his legacy. And unfortunately, as often happens when people work together in close proximity... Uh, it developed into something more. And again, I'm not going to say too much about that. You'll have to read to find <laughs> out, but it, 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 that's what kind of wound up in the gossip columns after that. Not so much her film career.
1: Well, I was going to say full disclosure. This is okay. a, well, this is a biography. Yes. This is not just a biography because you have been, you've been able to recreate, so to speak, private conversations. And you say yes. that right off the bat in your book that, that, you've taken some poetic license.
2: I have but to be honest it wasn't much I was blessed in my research because the story had kind of gripped the public in the 1920s there were numerous articles and interviews and so they had there were so many quotes and so many uh, the, the written pieces especially Brewster Brewster was notorious for kind of publishing everything that came to the top of his head he had was connected to uh, a newspaper in Brooklyn so the Brooklyn Daily Eagle put a lot of his stuff out and long story short I had so much of their words that I didn't even I didn't invent any dialogue at all. I just put them in the room and let them say their own words.
1: Oh, all right, cool. Because mm-hmm. as, and that's one of the things that, that struck me about this book is that it is it is almost like a peek in to uh, personal lives of people from the long past.
2: Yes. Yes, and, glad that, I'm glad you, you noticed that. I'm glad. I, I really wanted it because you know sometimes, especially when you're reading about somebody rather obscure from a hundred years ago, it can be dry and it's difficult to get through at times. That's exactly what I wanted. I wanted you to feel like you were in the room with them when this was happening.
1: Exactly, and that's what I, and that's what it comes across as. So, a, a great job there. Um, Thank you. Now, out of her movies, which would you consider her best? Would it be Motherhood or would it be? Um, 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 trial Marriage, I believe?
2: Uh, she did make a movie. It was called About Trial Marriage. Um, I wouldn't consider it one of her best at all. Unfortunately, a lot of her movies are not available for screening, especially towards the later half of her career, because she made a lot of what are called exploitation pictures. And because of the the uh, subject matter, they would wind up being banned, and they would wind up being destroyed. And so at, as of right now, and I mean, I might be wrong. If somebody knows better, please let me know. I don't know of any prints of those that are available. She made another one. I think it was retitled Damaged Goods or something. Mm-hmm. But if you had to pick a picture of hers that's available right now for screening, her best would be Bromo and Juliet with Charlie Chase. It's a short that he made in 1926. And it's very funny. It's a, As it sounds, it's a burlesque on Romeo and Juliet. And she is actually not bad in it at all. I mean, she doesn't have a lot to do. She kind of stands there and looks pretty, and obviously Charlie Chase takes the reins. But mm-hmm. she's she's very capable, and if she had continued in this vein, I could have seen her playing, you know, a, a straight man of sorts to various comedians in shorts for a while. It's uh, unfortunate that it didn't continue that way.
1: Now she, didn't, now, she did not make the transition, or educate me if I'm wrong. Um Sure. She did not make the transition to talkies, did she?
2: She did make a couple, but at that point, I I have to check my notes. Her last movie was in the early 30s, and it was a very small bit part. So it wasn't a a difficulty transitioning from silent to sound. It was more of a difficulty. And again, I'm not going to give this away because it's in the book, but something happened in the late 20s that kind of ground her career to a halt. So even though she struggled very hard to get back... She never really got past bit parts after that.
1: But she I said see. she
2: was she wasn't a talkie here or there.
1: And right, there was and like you said there was something happening we're not going to go into it. You're going to have to get the book re- li- uh, <laughs> listeners, okay? Um now, But we all, as all people do, she passed away. Um yes. she passed away at a rather young age, I believe. What about fifth? She was in her 50s, wasn't she?
2: She she was 53 and she actually passed away from uh, she was ill due to complications, alcoholism, and again, I, I do get into that in the book. She had a form of dementia that was, you know, she unfortunately she fell to a, a lot of the, you know, bad behaviors that come with a downward spiral. Unfortunately, and that, mm-hmm. it, it took a toll on her health after a while.
1: Would you consider her tale a cautionary
2: tale? if I would consider it a cautionary tale. I mean, obviously it is. You look at it, look, this is what happens when you send, the, you know, the good young southern girl to Hollywood. This is what's happened. Don't do it. But, you know, that's kind of what happened to everybody in the beginning. Everybody struggled. It's a matter of whether you can get past that point. She, unfortunately, in an attempt to kind of, you know, make it big in a short amount of time, she made some poor decisions. So I guess, you know, now that I think about it, I guess you could consider it a cautionary tale, but I feel bad mm-hmm. for her because I don't want to make it sound like, oh, she did everything wrong. She didn't exist in a vacuum. Unfortunately, she had a number of people that were willing to exploit her and her poor decision-making.
1: That's right. And at one point in the book, and it's in the early part, of, she, uh, you mentioned that she, well, for want of a better term, did not like to accept responsibility for her, no. for her actions um I remember one time um, one time in the book where you know she actually met the uh, the wife of a of the person that she was involved with yes and she had no idea that the wife would be would be upset <laughs> yeah
2: she was absolutely fascinated that the wife was angry and it's just again it makes you want to i tell people i want to reach through the years and shake her because it's hard to believe that she could be that uh you know unaware of this happening at all but she did. She did. Corliss had a tendency to blame everybody but herself. And as she got older and she got wiser, she realized her mistake. But especially in the beginning, when she was trying to form a career, it's not the the best way to think.
1: Yeah. Did she have any offspring?
2: She did not have any children, though.
1: Hmm. That's a shame. That's a, yeah. Um. And um, last, thing I was going to ask you, what what? Do you have any new books coming out? Uh, going down the going down the aisle.
2: Um, I'm always working on new projects. Right now I have a, a project I'm currently working on that's going to take a look into some of it. I mean, everybody knows Theda Barra. She's the oh, vamp yeah. of the screen. But at that time, almost every studio had their own Theda Barra in a way. It was, it was such a trope that everybody had to have their own. So I'm looking into the lives of some of the lesser-known vamps and gold diggers of the screen, and their lives off-screen, which were even more fascinating than the roles that they played. So that's my current project.
1: Ah, I think you may be touching upon somebody I like, like Ala Nozibah. If I can bear n- n- name, Nozibah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have. There are there are there are some people. I mean, there's some people you will know, like Eileen Pringle is in there, and there's some people that you won't know, like Claire Dolores or Rosa Rodami, whose lives were absolutely fascinating. So I stay tuned.
1: <laughs> when might when might we be seeing that one?
2: I'm working on it now. I'm hoping for it to be out sometime in early to mid-2019.
1: You mentioned in the book, or I'm sorry, you say that winning the Fame and Fortune Contest made her a star, but it was the worst thing that ever happened to her.
2: You know, it's the worst thing that ever happened to her in the sense that it made her kind of put all her eggs into one basket. I mean, she already knew that she was pretty. She'd been told that from the time she was a child. And just by winning this, I feel like she never felt she needed to develop herself beyond that. And she wound up becoming rather shallow. You know, again, later on she realizes her foibles, but that's what happened. She wound up putting everything on her looks and thinking that that was going to carry her through life and that no one would ever blame her for anything or she couldn't get in any trouble because here she was, she was the most beautiful woman in America, and everything would be great forever. And obviously that's not what happened, and I think it's also one of the worst things that happened to her because it wound up putting her in brewster's orbit and While Brewster was an, a brilliant man, an incredibly talented man, he also was a dilettante, and he you know she just became another project for him, and you can't do that with people, obviously, so that didn't help either.
0: Southern Bell to Hollywood Hell, Corliss Palmer, and her scandalous rise and fall. It's written by Jennifer Ann Redmond and published by Bear Manor Media. Join us next time on the Juno Files when we will be talking to Tom Lucier, who has a new book out entitled Berenice Flapper. That's next time on the Juno Files.